Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios this week in Atlanta, Georgia, and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson. Scott, we're so happy that you made it here, and you made it to where you're supposed to be. Yeah, I made it, well, I made it here. I didn't make it there, but I made, I made it here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this is this is day two in the UAE, and uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I will be honest, I'm still just this much jet-lagged, but I'm... Uh, I'm getting a chance to see a whole bunch of stuff and we dive in with both feet tomorrow. So I'm very excited to, to tour the new project and, and get some boots on the ground and, and meet the team in person who I've only seen in little tiny pictures on its screen. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be a great, great kickoff to the project. But uh, yeah, and, and there's a whole, just basically I am shocked as to how westernized things are here. Um, yeah, and uh, well, you've been here before, but I had not. So this is my first, my first, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just uh, just the prime example is I travel a gazillion miles and had lunch with one of the team members today at PF Chang's. So uh, <laughs> it's it, after your visit to IKEA, right? After my yeah. visit to IKEA, yes, I did stop in. I have been to IKEA Abu Dhabi. Um, I've been, I've obviously been to some other places. I went to the Grand Mosque today, and it was it was beautiful, but. Um, it's it is very much like Florida with uh, more people speaking different languages. So, <laughs> well, okay. Let's. Uh, I guess we shall begin the show. The news here. Our first story, I think, is uh, the big story, which is that uh, NBC Universal CEO has shared details of the Epic Universe. And Jeff Shell revealed during the UBS Global TMT conference that work on Universal Orlando's new Epic Universe theme park in Florida is progressing and on track to open by summer 2025. The development, which will be home to Super Nintendo World, is in the vertical phase, and there have not been any significant supply chain problems. He added that the arrival in Orlando is perfect timing (laughs) amid high tourist demand and the opening of a new terminal at Orlando International Airport. There's clearly a demand supply imbalance, and I think that we're opening a theme park right at the right time. Yeah, because there's nothing to do in Orlando. <laughs> no, certainly not. There's nothing <laughs> there. Um, no, I, I'm glad. I'm glad to see that that Epic Universe is back on track. Um, this was the uh, the the giant the giant behemoth that just got st- stuck in its tracks there for a while, and. Uh, Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We both knew a ton of people who were working on that project. And when COVID hit, they were just basically either put on hold or put out to pasture, as the case may be. And yep. So yep. I'm just really glad to see that they are, are back. And from an industry standpoint, um, it shows that, you know, if something like Epic Universe can can say we're back on track, everything's going fine, then smaller projects if the funding is still there somehow, um, can certainly get back, get back to their, um, expansions as needed. And again, you know, um, 
you don't have to necessarily build a gigantic new theme park, but um, continue to continue to expand and, and add products so that uh, when guests fully come back in full, you know, full flow uh, or in whatever regulated flow is going to be in the future, that uh, you, you will have something to to attract them to continue to come back as things get back into some sort of normal status quo. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure I believe the the whole part about the no supply chain thing and and whatnot. I I think the 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 demand part is kind of on par with what we're talking about a little bit where we're like there's the 2023 is when a bunch of competition is opening and then you're going to see more of the equilibrium. So I think more what he means is it's a good time to kind of raise the competitive stakes right. in Orlando right. because things will be back to equilibrium. Universal. To, to add a new park, you know, it's a good time yeah. for their company to add a new park. Um, I, yeah. I don't think yeah. there is, I, you know, when he uses the, the phrase, a supply demand imbalance, I'm not sure I buy that. Um, but I don't either. Yeah. Uh, because again, I think we've hit, and again, maybe I'm wrong, but we've been, we've been pretty close to calling this, uh, throughout the run of the the show. And, but I, I think we're pretty close to hitting the, the apex and now things are going to things are going to hit a, a sense of equilibrium moving forward. But I also depend, I also think it depends on specifically when the park opens, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it says summer of 2025 by that time, I think we're going to be in a, we're going to be hopefully, unless there's any other, you know, unseen challenges on the horizon, I think we'll be back to some sort of uh, normalization of attendance yeah. and, you know, that, that this will create a bump uh, in that normalization, certainly for Universal and perhaps for the Orlando area. You know, there may be a, a good excuse to come and visit, um, come and visit Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I think the supply chain thing might be a trick of wording, as in right now there's not a supply chain issue, but then again, because they ordered the you know, the original components, a lot of the stuff they're installing now has been ordered quite a while back, right? And then um, some of the specialty items like the lighting <laughs> are not going to be installed right now, right? So not until way later our lights going to be hung. So I think that could be a trick of the words maybe, but well, yeah. um, I'm not saying we have any particular insight about that. I'm just saying. No, I mean... I can't say. I'm just saying I can't say. Yeah, you don't have... Well, and you may you may or may not, you can either confirm nor deny that, um, yeah. that you have insp- insight in this specific specific regard, but, um, you can discuss the fact that, you know, you know, that what's happening in China is affecting, uh, delivery dates for certain electronic components and lighting components throughout yeah. the industry. So, but I think you, you bring up a very good point and that is that all the stuff that they need was ordered, you know, multiple, multiple years mm-hmm. ago. And, um, that's, that's, you know, still, that that puts them that puts them let me put it this way it puts them a little further in front of the line but if the product yeah. isn't coming out of China which needs to come out of China then they're still going to have some challenges in the long run let's put it that way yeah well speaking of China our next two stories kind of have to do with China um, you know this week there was pretty big news out that there was big news but not specific news there's big news in that mainland China has discussed kind of adapting a little bit of their their COVID policy, but we're not sure exactly what that's going to look like. However, there was a story that came out from Hong Kong 
about how the chief executive of Hong Kong says that quarantine-free travel to mainland China next year is a very realistic possibility. They go on to say in the story that quarantine-free travel with the mainland in 2023 is a very realistic possibility to me, the chief executive told the media representatives. I know you may need a time frame on when in 2023. I hope it will be as soon as possible as I am burning with impatience too, but I am confident about it. Lee highlighted that there were more leeway after Beijing's long-awaited easing of coronavirus precautions, which is what happened this week. The people on the mainland with milder symptomatic COVID-19 infections will also be able to isolate at home under the new nationwide instructions. So I'm going to pair that, though, with a story from our, our friends over at Ocean Park, uh, which basically just their, their earnings came out. And it has recorded a deficit of almost 1.82 billion Hong Kong dollars for the past fiscal year, even though the year-on-year revenue has increased. So basically, year-over-year revenue has increased, of course, because if you look, I mean, they've gone from being closed all the time to being closed partially and then having auxiliary revenue kind of coming in, right? But it's still a a huge deficit. So we're kind of pairing these two things together uh, just to kind of show the, the landscape of China. But, you know, if that's something that we're looking at very closely as well on the Gantam side, uh, we've heard too that some of the policies might be adjusting. If the policies are going to be adjusting a little bit, that that would be significant for the, the, the tourism, for everybody, everybody, but especially tourism, because if, if they're thinking about allowing tourism back or at least even domestic tourism, that is going to be a huge deal for the park's in the Hong Kong and China area. so, um, But I don't think we, we have the details quite yet, and I still think it's, it's difficult whenever you're dealing with um, basically just the government like that, you know, where, where it's essentially you're, you're really relying on one person, one party, and kind of their, I guess like their ego, kind of like, you know, kind of how, however they're going to be able to justify it, to, you know, kind of save face, basically, is what we're, we're trying to see how, how they're going to save face. Well, and culturally, and, yeah, culturally, um, I think that's the real issue. It's, we've, we've dug our yeah. feet in, we've said that this is important, we have to continue to yeah. say that this yeah. is important, yeah. otherwise we have yeah. to say that we were wrong. Um, and mm-hmm. this is not just, this is not just saving face in, in Asian cultures, this happens around the world, it's just called something different. So, um, <laughs> It's it's interesting because again, uh, had had I um, been called to this project earlier, well, the team, the whole reason I I'm here is because some of the team, uh, based on the delays and and based on the the COVID restrictions um, for Abu Dhabi specifically, um, were such mm-hmm. that they couldn't bring people in, they couldn't uh, move people around. It was never as strict as China ever. Yeah. Um, but the majority yeah. of those have been lifted. And um, from what I hear, from what I understand, uh, there really hasn't been, you know, a gigantic spike. There hasn't been a whole lot of change. And they were they were lifted and eased because, you know, they, especially in Abu Dhabi, to a lesser degree in Dubai, um, there's business that has to go on, N- not just tourism business. Exactly. There's business that has to happen and business that has to happen with people from various countries. So therefore, by uh, easing those restrictions, it is allowing that business to take place and get back on board. Because I, you know, it's, and it's not, I, not telling tales out of school by any stretch of the imagination, but with any business, if you can't do business in your location, you have two, two choices. You either don't do business or you move your location. 
<clears throat> yep. Those are the only two factors you can control. So I would imagine that uh, China, although um, probably less so than the UAE when it comes to, to business partnerships with people outside the country, um, I would imagine that eventually they're going to hit that point where they're going to have to say, gosh, is our, our strict regulations really, really making it better? Or is it just, are we now starting to lose large amounts of, of money and partnership with, with companies outside? Yeah. I'm sure that is a, a, a that is a question, exactly. That, 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 the, the exact question of, of what, where's the line on the economic damage and, you know, the, I think the protests, personally, I think the protests matter less. That's just a personal opinion. I think they matter less than the, the economic damage and the kind of the, the long-lasting that's damage. That's true that. in China. I think that's true everywhere. Um, I, tr I truly, honestly believe that that is true um, no matter where. It, you know, it's, it's that phrase that we've heard in the industry for so very, well, I've heard in the industry for so very many years, and that is follow the dollar. When you follow the dollar, yep. you find out the real truth. And, and not even follow the law, but follow the dollar. Who, what, is getting, what is getting in the way of making a, a profitable or sustainable um, business model? And, and I, don't want that to sound, I don't want that to sound callous or, or uncaring, but I, I think that we have to recognize that if an economy shuts down, then healthcare also goes to poop. So you know you, you have yeah. to you have to recognize that you've got to to make those choices for the the betterment of everyone. Yeah. Well, so a update there. I think I think um, I honestly was surprised to see any of that. Honestly, I, I again I had think I had said even last week that I didn't think anything was going to change. But again. As these last few years have taught us, things change very quickly and things just, you need to just keep monitoring and have plans and backup plans. So yeah. um, we've taken all, all this together. You can kind of see that potentially um, if stuff, and, and we're hoping, we're looking at is, is things begin to change a little bit, at least enough so that business can go on and we can get components and we can start all that being eased and honestly, eventually move stuff out of China. I mean, we're looking to move out of China, but the problem right now is that they're locked down. You know, people, even if we wanted to move some of our team out of China, we can't because they're not allowed to leave. So, so we, you know, everyone can say all day, yeah, you back up your supply chains, right, right, right. But we have people that are stuck there. Right. They, you know, they can't get out. And so. as you, as you started this, as you started the story, you said it's a big story that doesn't really have any details. So you're probably, and, and uh, I would I would actually lay money on it. You're not the only company who is is thinking about um, relocating or at least diversifying countries where they they have their products built or assembled. Uh, and um, so statements like these make you think, well, we'll just stick it out through 23 because there this this statement has absolutely no meat. You know, there is yeah. there is no there's no hard dates, and they even address it. You know, in the uh, I know you may need uh, you may need a time frame on when in twenty three. Yeah, <laughs> I hope it's as soon as possible. Well, you know this is this is a very to me this is a very um, campaigning political statement. This is this is what we often refer to as whenever a candidate is 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 making a stump speech. It's good things are good, bad things are bad. You know things that you just can't argue with, um, and that that create the illusion that you're hearing what you what you want to hear. Um, yeah. There is there is absolutely zero policy being discussed in this statement. 
Yeah. Uh, it is saying yeah. it is a strong possibility that we 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 hope that this will happen. You know, I <clears throat> I've done media long enough to know that when you use phrases like we hope, we plan to, um, our goal is, those are all things that basically mean we're not ready to to commit yet because we really don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay. Something that we do know now is the name of the new attraction that is coming to Universal Orlando. Of course, we know that the the Shrek Theater has been shut down and being renovated for quite a while, and they're shutting down the Monsters Cafe and all that. So we now know that next summer, Illumination's VillainCon Minion Blast interactive shooting game will premiere. It's going to invite guests to put their villainous skills to the test as they compete against each other in a bid to join the ranks of the franchise's most infamous supervillains. Villain Con Minion Blast will combine screen technology, gaming, interactivity, and elaborate physical sets to create a game-based adventure where guests will face familiar villains and tons of mischievous minions from Illuminations films in a whole new way. Sorry, it's hard for me to be excited about it because it's like, okay, well, anytime, anytime you're like, gaming, interactivity, elaborate physical sets, game-based adventure. Uh, you know, I'm like, you know what's game-based adventure? Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> we've hit the point where, <clears throat> excuse me, someone in the PR office has said these are the these are the key buzzwords that we have to get out. <laughs> all the kids, all the kids are loving these buzzwords. We got to use these. It's it's like when we started using the word gamification. Um, yeah, that was a gazillion years ago. Immersive. Immersive. Yeah. Uh, what what I whenever I hear the people whenever I hear anybody. And whether it's in a pitch meeting or a developmental, conceptual, whatever, whenever I hear anybody use the word immersive, I ask them to define it. What it mm-hmm. means, what it means to them, because for some people, immersive means a 360 film. For others, mm-hmm. immersive means. Uh, for some, it means nonlinear. It means that you know you you can go wherever you yeah. want. For some, it means you know I, I when I did uh, when I did the the TEA state presentation in Vegas uh, earlier this year, I actually started my section of the of the presentation by explaining how I defined immersive, and that was that the the guest actions um, the guest actions create um, a change in the story progression or the illusion of change in a story progression. Yep. Um, yep. So it, everyone has to define immersive before they start using that word because it's so broad. And, and I think that, you know, gamification is now the same way. Um, gamification could mean, you know, we're going to play villain checkers. So um, mm-hmm. no, that's not the case here. And I don't mean to undermine this, this adventure. It could be really exciting. I will say that I... Um, <sighs> The name is more like an encyclopedia than it is a name. It's it's hard to say, um, which is a weird thing to pick on. And I know that there's going to be some listeners who are going to just roll their eyes and go, "Oh, really, Scott? That's what? That's your problem?" Yeah, a villain con minion blast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is what <laughs> say that ten times fast. This is what happens when you try to um, smash multiple IPs together. And you have to make certain that yeah. every IP is is appropriately represented, and the guests know it's got multiple multiple elements, multiple layers. It's we're creating our own multiverse, which is another phrase I'm getting tired of. Um, 
Mm-hmm. It, it's the it's the multiverse or mashup, which is what multiverse was before it was called multiverse. Um, wow. Crossovers back in the comic book days, you know, you'd get um, and oh, and when they did DC Marvel crossovers, people went ballistic. It was like, boom, you know, these these, these mm-hmm. warring worlds come together. But that's why you get things like um, villain con minion blast. And if you really want to be yeah. appropriate, Illuminations villain con minion blast. Yeah, we know what whatever. I mean. I am excited. I'm always excited that there are new things. I don't want to like too, super rag on it. I just, I just, you know, it, it in my brain, it's like it just falls into that camp of like, oh, it's another shooter experience, and I mean, you're not really going to make it immersive because you know, it's, it's, it's just they're just using buzzwords in there. It's fine. It does harken to the main themes we've been talking about: reinforcing brand IPs and you know, kind of updating and again defining your competitive lines for 2023 that's what it falls definitely into that and and so that that's more what it is for me and um another trend our next story kind of here is another trend we've been talking about which is the shoulder seasons and the seasonal entertainment the next story here is that the dubai parks and resorts and uae celebrate holiday seasons Dubai Parks and Resorts in the UAE have transformed its four theme parks into holiday destinations, offering more than 50 festive events and activities. These include theater shows such as King Julian's Holiday Stomp and Smurfmas, which is, would be my favorite, mm-hmm. at Motion Gate Dubai, the Daily Christmas Countdown in Miniland at Legoland Dubai, parades, rides, live shows, workshops, and fireworks displays. So I think this kind of illustrates that it's everyone that is thinking about these ways to beef up their shoulder seasons. And I thought this was a perfect story considering that Scott has had a little taste of the culture and can illuminate us as to what it is like there. Well, and again, this is this is after two two full days um, here. Two full days, that's enough, that's enough. That's enough, I know everything there is to know about Abu Dhabi. Um, no. Yeah. You're a professional, Scott. Not true. I will say though, um, one of the things that did surprise me when I got here was how much um, the the uh, the folks here in Abu Dhabi and I'm assuming Dubai and throughout the Emirates uh, embrace Christmas um, and not so much the religious side but certainly the decor side uh, they uh, even the the hotel that I'm staying in um, two days before I got here did their official tree lighting um, which is the the, oh. the tree in the lobby um, and then the trees out in front there are lights everywhere and more more santas than than you could ever imagine um the hotel next to mine um does has this gorgeous tree display in the lobby um with uh dickens it looks like it looks like a window display from like the 1970s early 80s because it's very rich it's got those those uh dickens carolers standing there you know the little Mm -hmm. miniatures next to santa's sleigh which always makes me laugh when you see Dickens next to Santa, but that's just my own personal thing. But the thing that threw me the most Mm -hmm. is they took their, um, they have a a coffee and, and pastry kiosk in the, just off the lobby. 
and they have completely <clears throat> decorated it so it looks like a little chalet with like a gingerbread chalet. So it's it's got roof, <laughs> it's got the snow around the outside and and gumdrops stuck on the giant gumdrops stuck on the window. And the person the 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 young lady working the kiosk is now in a red velvet skirt with white fur around the bottom and I mean it is it's That's not a nod to it is a full uh, a full head wag to the holidays, um, and and they're you know kudos to them because I think they recognize that again this is what um, many of their guests from the multiple countries that either uh, represent the population here or come to to play here because um, again I'm mm-hmm. I'm on uh, Yaz Island so I'm I. I I'm in the, the, you're in the tourist area, basically. in the tourist area yeah. of Abu Dhabi. And, uh, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, they are on the precipice of, um, being able to do not only, uh, not only Christmas events, but multiple seasonal experiences. Um, I'm still not, I'm still not understanding exactly what the, the base is for their guests, whether it is, uh, primarily tourist based, or if there are, if there's enough local support to, to, yeah, to fully get the value out of doing seasonal events. Um, obviously this is something that I've done a great deal of over the years. And, um, you know, I always say use it to, to give people a reason to come back to your park. I don't even, I don't even think shoulder season it because, because Halloween is no longer a shoulder season. It's a prime season. Um, and, and, yep. and Christmas has become the same thing. Well, so it's just, I just look at it as a reason well, yeah. to give people to come now, as opposed to, yeah, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. I wanted, I thought it was just so interesting to show how it is kind of leaking over into other markets, you know, that, that don't, you wouldn't think of necessarily would, would celebrate it, you know, uh, just like Halloween. We've talked about Halloween, how like Halloween's you know, the, the current version of Halloween is a pretty American thing, but you see a lot of other countries kind of doing something and it's kind of divorced of the religious connotation. Mm-hmm. It's more of just a costume party. Right. And I think, you know, it, it's interesting. But to your point about the shoulder stuff, um, I the reason that I'm in the Atlanta area is because I went up to Dollywood to see their Christmas show and I interviewed Dollywood there. We'll probably drop that as a bonus episode to those of you listening. Yeah. Um, but uh, they said that exact thing is that they have gone from originally, because I guess they started Christmas in 1990 and they've been doing it since then. And it went from a, a thing to beef shoulder season to the main season. Like, like they're, now it's become reversed in that their Halloween and their Christmas are their main seasons. Right. It's not the other way around. It's not the summer stuff. And I was absolutely gobsmacked at the amount of entertainment that they cram into that small, relatively small, you know, small footprint. I know they got kind of touchy when I was like, said the words regional park and, and said like smaller footprint. Um, but I'm, I'm just saying, and when you're comparing it to, you know, you know, you know Universal or Disney World, it's the, the footprint is smaller and also it is more regional thing. But um, I was, they have two full stage shows, two full stage shows mm-hmm. that are full, singing, live acting dancer. They're, they're one, one of them has a live orchestra mm-hmm. 
that accompanies the stage show. The other one has a live band that plays. And then they have, I, I want to say there's eight other shows that happen. And when I was listening to them, I felt like it was exactly out of Scott's book because what she said is during the pandemic, they had to change their entertainment and they created more shorter, outdoor, roaming, pop-up, interactive experiences where the actors got to talk to the guests more one-on-one and the guests love that, so they have kept it. So they've they brought back their two main indoor stage shows, but the rest of it happens in little kind of areas that they've created, so miniature pop-up stages. So they still have the Nativity show and they have Old Holy Night, but they also have jazz performers and jingle bell people, sleigh bell, uh, acapella groups that wander around and do 10-minute pop-up shows. And I was like, that's why there are 10 shows on this calendar and we are here on a Thursday. <laughs> right. Well, Dollywood, Dollywood has always been known for being entertainment forward. Um, even, you know, and as, as the rest of the parks have kind of, have kind of dwindled the live entertainment offerings, yeah. um, Dollywood never did. And, you know, I, uh, I realized that they're not, they're not on the magnitude of a, a Disney or a universal property. However, I would not think of them as a regional park because having not necessarily worked for them, but worked for um, some other uh, clients in the, the Gatlinburg area. Um, the, there are people who travel from quite a, yeah, quite a ways, quite away. far. Um, and it is a destination. It's not the, let's do it as a day trip. It's let's go there. Let's spend a couple nights. Let's go see, you know, let's, let's drive through, let's drive through the, the, the state park and, and go to the other side and, and go down that main drag and then come back and go down the other main drag. And, um, so it is definitely a, a destination park. It may not be of the same grandeur, but I will say um, Dollywood at Christmas is pretty intense and they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have not seen it this year, but in the past they do it well and they do it full out. So, um, and again, as you, to your point, they, they create those entertainment offerings that, um, that keep guests singing, smiling, engaged with live performers, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, just, I mean, to, to give you, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like a, to, to give like a, a sense of the schedule, we spent the entire, we got there when it opened and we left when the park closed, we spent the entire day there. We, we didn't get to see every show and we did no rides aside from the train because it was Christmas. So the entire day was just trying to see all of the shows. <laughs> we spent the entire day just trying to see all the entertainment and we did not succeed. Well, but again, to me, that's what an entertainment package should be um, because it gives, mm-hmm. you, it gives you repeat visitation. And if you can get, mm-hmm. you know, they've, exactly. learned, they've learned that by doing Christmas, it brings people out at that time of year. Great. And if you can bring them out more than once at that time of year, exactly better. And if it is going to be a destination location, then instead of going to XYZ Park um, somewhere else, they come back to Dollywood the second day. It's 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 not on the magnitude of Disney, but it's the same mentality. It's it's you know eat, sleep, drink Disney, and and if you can get them to eat, sleep, drink Dollywood more power to them. That means they've done what they needed to do, and especially during the the busy and very competitive holiday season. 
All right. Well, being the very busy and competitive holiday season, we want to make sure that you have time to do everything that you need for your for your holiday planning. And of course, many of you listening are, are probably running holiday events right now. So we are done. That's our 30 minutes for this week. On behalf of Philip Hernandez and myself, Scott Swenson, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. And from across the globe, we will see you again next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.